familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. If you're listening to the show, you probably want to give your baby breast milk. Sometimes that's through breastfeeding, but you can also express your breast milk and even give your baby donor breast milk from another mom. Here in the United States is not just about what you want to do, but many of our decisions are impacted by our income. It's unfortunate, but it's also reality for many parents who simply want what's best for their family. Today we're exploring how income impacts decisions to breastfeed and pump. We're the Boob Group. I use a breast pump. I hand express milk for my baby. I exclusively breastfeed. I use a nipple shield. I breastfed after a C-section. I use a milk bank. I breastfeed in public whenever I feel like it. I pump at work. I breastfeed with a cover. I breastfeed twins. I give my baby bottles. I made my own supplemental nursing system. I supplement with formula. I talk to my baby while I breastfeed. I'm breastfeeding as a survivor of sexual abuse. When I have extra milk, I share it with other moms. We are equal. We are the Boob Group. Welcome to the Boob Group. We're here to support all moms wanting to provide breast milk to their babies. I'm your host, Priya Namard. I'm also the founder of the Moms Pump Here Nursery Room Locator app, which helps moms all over the world to find great places to pump and breastfeed their babies. How do you listen to the Boob Group? Perhaps while breastfeeding or pumping. It's a great way to relax and just focus on your baby. And if you're on the go, check out our new Mommy Media Network app, which gives you easy access to all of our episodes. Let's meet our mamas today joining us for the conversation. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Hi, I'm Donna Bister. I'm stepmom to two awesome adults and Grammy to five tweens and teens, all of them breastfed or fed breast milk for some period of time while they were babies. I grew up in a large extended family and... Very few of us then in the 50s were breastfed. Thanks for having me on the show. My name is Kiran Saluja, and I run the WIC program in Los Angeles in Orange County in California. It's a huge program. We serve about 250,000 moms and babies and families every single month. I have come from India many, many, many years ago, and I was really lucky to find the WIC program in 1984. I had my first child in 1982, and I had real problems with breastfeeding. I wanted to breastfeed her, and everything that happened with me at the hospital and subsequently, essentially, my first daughter's a bottle-fed baby, and that's just personally very disappointing, disillusioning, and frustrating for me. And so I went on this quest to learn everything I could about breastfeeding, and that took me to WIC. And I learned so much in the WIC program that three years later, when I had my second daughter, I breastfed her for two years, over two years. And then I had my third daughter in 91, who also is a breastfed baby. So I've been with WIC since 1984. And I just love what I do every single day. I now have uh, twin granddaughters 
who are just over a year old and they have not had one drop of formula. I am so proud. I can't even tell you. And this is the daughter who wasn't breastfed. So for me, that is just a personal success story. And that's my life with WIC. All right. So, hey, everyone, I'm Sunny, and uh, I'm mom to four kids, and my oldest is six. I got a four-year-old, and I have twin girls that are about to turn three. And, yeah, man, I feel like uh, a lot of our decisions to breastfeed were based um, on finances and, and our income. So for us, it was actually a way to save money. And so, yeah, so I'm definitely impacted by this topic. But I, I breastfed all my kids, but I, I also pumped and did the donor milk thing for a while, donated milk and received milk and supplemented with formula as well. And I'm your host, Priya, and I have three children. My oldest is 14, my second is 12, and my youngest, Liam, is eight. And I breastfed, pumped, and supplemented for all three of them. But Liam got three years of breastfeeding. And I can certainly say that, you know, income did affect my choices for all three children. So I'm looking forward to this conversation today and can't wait to hear what our, our guests have to say. Sound familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh. It was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. All right, so we are going to talk about a news headline before we dive into our conversation today. Not really related to our topic, but, you know, we hear a lot in the media about Facebook and especially moms who are very proud to be breastfeeding moms and moms posting photos and this content being taken down. I, I feel like we're hearing this a lot. And, and that's kind of what this article is about, but I don't really want to focus on what Facebook did. But let me kind of explain the situation here. So basically, there was a mom and uh, Rebecca is her name. She's based out of Missouri. And she heard, she actually received a text from a friend and heard about another mama in her area who had been hospitalized and had a young baby. The baby had only ever been breastfed and the baby was refusing a bottle and uh, family didn't know what to do. And I think the mom was actually going into surgery or I mean, it was something that was immediate, you know, and so she volunteered. I'm not sure exactly how the, everything was coordinated, but somehow got this other baby and decided to help breastfeed the baby because, you know, again, baby was not taking bottle and uh, that was a concern for everybody. And so she took this photo. It's a photo I'm actually very familiar with, not this particular one, but I tandem breastfed twins. And so this view I've seen <laughs> on my own body several times, but it's like looking down from her perspective, you know, you kind of just take the phone and put it under your chin and you shoot down and uh, it actually makes her breasts look really nice and full and 
<laughs> pretty amazing. It's a great <laughs> shot of those. And it's really sweet because there's obviously a younger baby and a little bit older baby a child that are tandem breastfeeding. They're actually holding hands. Now, keep Aww, in mind, so these sweet. kids, yeah, these kids don't know each other, right? I mean, this is someone that she, you know, just met, if you will. I'm not even sure she actually met her, but was, again, trying to help out the baby. And they're holding hands. It's almost like they are siblings, but they're they're not, right? So they're milk siblings, I guess, at this point. But yeah, it was a you know, very sweet thing that the mom did. And of course, she posted it to Facebook. And you know how it goes with the comments back and forth and whatever, cover up and whatever. So she got some negative comments. She got some positive comments. And, and it was one of those things where Facebook ended up, they took it down originally, and then they brought it back. So I don't know. I think they took it down twice. I think they did took they? it down twice from what I read. Well, again, you know, Facebook, I mean, it's a large community, right? And mm-hmm. and things get flagged and they have to have a process of going through it and, and, and until someone challenges something. I'm sure they have their own rules and procedures and that's just Facebook. But what I really wanted to focus on with this is just the compassion that this mom had for something, you know, for someone else. I, it doesn't say whether or not she had ever, you know, breastfed somebody else's baby besides her own. But again, it was just, a, you know, a, a mom needed some help. A baby needed help. And this mom reached out and helped in a way that that she could. And so I thought it was a very sweet story from that perspective. Priya? Yeah, I think it's pretty awesome that she took the initiative and just went over there and, and decided to help out. I mean, again, forget Facebook. <laughs> forget yeah, forget what they think. So she's pretty much, you know, she's pretty bold for doing that. And I have to commend her for that. You know, I was just thinking, you know, thinking about donor milk and how much screening process moms have to go through when they want to donate milk. But she just went on over there, you know, she's a stranger. <laughs> she went on over there and she breastfed. And I'm sure this, I mean, this has been done like for eons, you know, women have helped out friends and their siblings that need, you know, their babies need help um, with breast milk and breastfeeding. But there's so much of a process when you have to donate milk. So this is, I think it's very interesting, you know, how organically this has happened. Oh, and then, so this article was actually asking her, uh, you know, about the whole experience. And, and, and I love her response because it's just so simple. She's like, you know what? The baby looked hungry and exhausted. So sh- she, quote, did what I hope any person would do for my child in a time of despair. And that's really, I think that's really what it boils down to, right? Is mom helping, mom's helping other moms. And I think we need more of that. So, you know, kudos to her for, you know, stepping out and helping out another mom. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As moms, we always want what's best for our children. Would it be nice if we could always base those decisions on what we want? (laughs) But let's face it, money does play a role, especially when it comes to feeding your baby. Joining us today is Donna Bister, the National WIC Association Board Chair and Vermont State WIC Director, and Karen Saluja of the Public Health Foundation WIC in Los Angeles, which is also the largest local WIC agency in the country. Both Donna and Karen joined us on a previous episode all about WIC. We encourage you to check that one out if you haven't already. Okay, so let's quickly review with our listeners what WIC is and how it helps moms and children. 
So WIC is a public health nutrition program that serves uh, pregnant women, uh, new moms, and children up to their fifth birthday. It has income limits. It has residents. Folks need to live in an area served by the clinic they go to. The income limit is 185% of the federal poverty guidelines, which is just under $45,000 for a family of four. Families that participate in certain other federal programs, such as SNAP and Medicaid, are automatically income eligible for WIC. And the final criteria for WIC eligibility is a nutritional or medical reason for needing WIC services, which could be as simple as not meeting the dietary guidelines every single day or as complicated as a high-risk pregnancy or chronic health condition. Benefits of WIC include nutrition education and counseling, referral to health care, breastfeeding, promotion and support, and specific healthy foods that are chosen to meet the nutrition needs of folks who are in those categories. And also dads, grandparents, foster parents, guardians, anybody who has the care of children can apply for them, for the children that they are, that are in their care. Wonderful, wonderful. So how, based on your experience, how often do you see moms making decisions based on their income and how they feed their children? Do you have any stories you can share? I don't really have personal stories. I think Karan's probably going to have better stories than I do, but I can say that all families make decisions about how to feed their children based on their income and on other kinds of financial decisions. Um, It's not always money. Sometimes it's time and access to food or or other things that they need. But I I actually think Karan will have better stories because she actually sees people and I don't. So this is an everyday thing. You can imagine we have 53 WIC centers. We have moms coming every single day, pregnant women walking through the door, women who've just had their babies. And so they are deciding how to feed their baby every day. Now, in terms of based on their income, quite honestly, I don't believe that is what makes a mother decide how to feed her baby or not. I really don't believe that. If you look at it as a huge subset of the population, say WIC moms, I can understand that the stats really show that WIC moms as a group don't breastfeed at the same rates as non-WIC moms. But if you take it a mother at a time, most mothers are making decisions how to feed their babies based on the kind of community support, family support, what happened at the hospital, are they going to go back to work or not. But a lot of our moms go back to work sites that actually do help them. So I, I find this I I don't think that income becomes the great divider. Knowledge, yes. Support, yes. Even the job setting. You know, there are, we found people who work with fast food that are able to be accommodated for breastfeeding. They all need an advocate. And when they find that advocate in WIC, I don't believe income really enters as a qualifier. Okay, so let's first focus on breastfeeding. What we are seeing here in the United States when it comes to starting to breastfeed and then stopping, how do those rates compare to women receiving WIC services? Well, we actually have really good information about that from um, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, National Immunization Survey, which they do every year. So women who are receiving WIC tend to, about three quarters of them, start breastfeeding. And then within the first few weeks, it drops right off. And by six months, only 40% are breastfeeding. So folks who are not participating in WIC and whose income is too high to be eligible for WIC, about 90% of them start breastfeeding. And by six months, almost 70% are still breastfeeding. So it's a big disparity among um, lower income moms and moms who have more disposable income. 
And there are lots of reasons for that. So, you know, I think that moms with less income have many more barriers to successful breastfeeding. And it's not all about their income. It's often about the kind of work that they do and um, whether or not they have paid any kind of paid leave after, after their baby is born. So higher income folks are more often working in jobs where they have some kind of paid leave so they get a really good start. And some of our WIC moms don't have that opportunity. Just makes it harder for them all around. Do you find women choosing to breastfeed, obviously because of all the benefits, but also that it, it's a cheaper alternative to pumping or formula feeding? And it, I guess it's only cheaper if it's uh, not, you know, if, if you've got the support and everything that you need. If you've got to, you know, take off work and you're, you know, losing income that way, it's obviously not cheaper. But from the sheer standpoint that our bodies make the milk and we don't have to have any other equipment besides baby and mom and, you know, we don't have to purchase formula. Do you find any moms at least trying to breastfeed because it's cheaper? That may be part of the decision, but I'm not sure it's the entire entire reason for the decision. So do you think the rates are higher or lower in low-income areas for breastfeeding? They tend to be lower, but what we also hear from WIC moms is that they're, or lower-income moms, is that they're often not able to meet their own personal breastfeeding goals because of other barriers too. So it's not it's not always about income. What do you think those other barriers are? Um, like I said before, it has sometimes to do with their working life and sometimes it has to do with other children. We've heard of moms whose childcare providers don't accept pumped breast milk. They're just all kinds of things that, that happen. I, you know, one of the things about being poor in the United States is that everything you do takes more time. Our public transportation isn't good. You know, it's just much harder for for moms. So saving money isn't always the first first thing that comes to mind. And, And I don't think moms would necessarily see breastfeeding as a cost saver for them when you look at the whole picture. So I actually looked up, the CDC has a 2016 breastfeeding report card, and I'd be happy to share that link with you. And what they show, I was looking at WIC and non-WIC. So non-WIC mothers, any breastfeeding is 91%. In the WIC program, it is 74%. So this is any breastfeeding. And if you look at six months, half the mothers that are on the WIC program are breastfeeding when you compare them to those who are not on the WIC program. It's 21% for the WIC moms and 42% breastfeeding at six months for those who are eligible but not participating in the WIC program. And if you look at exclusive breastfeeding, it is pretty much almost, I, I would say almost doubles if you're not on the WIC program. So if you're on the WIC program through six months, it's 34%. And non-WIC moms, it's almost up to 60%. So lots of figures being thrown at you. I'm sorry, did I say six months? Through six months, it's 15% if you're on the WIC program. Only 15% moms exclusively breastfeeding at six months. And if you're not on the WIC program, but you're eligible for WIC, it's 29%. So double. And again, WIC gives free formula. So therein lies our conundrum and possibly the reason for our stats. That moms who are fully breastfeeding may say, well, I don't really need WIC in the beginning because... I don't need formula, and I make milk for my baby. That's interesting. So so what about breast pumping as an alternative to feeding your baby from the breast? Do you have any national stats on pumping where they're located and why they decide to pump? 
You know, it's a really good question and it's a tough one to answer. You're right, because I, I it's so diverse. I think one way of looking at it might be how many breast pumps are given out, let's say, by programs like the WIC program. And I will tell you that this is a stat I'm going to have to send you in terms of on a monthly basis in a program like mine, how many breast pumps go out the door. I wish I could tell you that off the top of my head, but I, do, I don't have that. But I will send you that. So, you know, I mean, the reality is that in terms of working and breastfeeding, if moms are working and wanting to exclusively breastfeed, they have to pump because there's very little on-site daycare anywhere. And that would be like the gold standard in daycare if we would ever get there. Wouldn't that be lovely? Of course, we should all be like Sweden and, you know, basically the the Scandinavian countries where you get a year off when you have your baby. And that would be the most supportive thing that we could do is paid family leave for our moms and babies and dads to really bring that in. But I, to answer your question, couldn't really tell you about stats for pumping and breastfeeding off the top of my head. So from a WIC standpoint, does WIC provide resources on pumping for moms like equipment and education? Yes, absolutely. So if mom wants to pump, WIC can certainly provide breast pumps and we provide them as part of an overall breastfeeding assessment. So we can make sure that mom gets the kind of pump that she needs uh, based on how long she's going to be separated from her baby, what her pumping goals are, that kind of thing. And also the Affordable Care Act makes breast pumps a benefit of uh, any anyone who has insurance. So that's made it easier for lots of lots of moms to to get the breast pumps that they, that they need. WIC can fill in the gaps while we're waiting for Medicaid to approve a pump for a mom. So there, there are lots of options. And, and we would not provide a pump without teaching mom how to use it and talking to mom about, it. you know, it's not an all or nothing thing. You can nurse and pump. You can use the pump to keep up your supply. There are lots, lots of ways that you can use a breast pump. So we try to talk about that with moms too. So Kiran, do you think that most moms in the WIC program consider pumping as an option? Why? Well, you know, we really start very early in the breast, in the prenatal period when women come into us pregnant. One of the first things they get from us is this little handout that says breastfeeding services in the WIC program. And one of the things we mentioned there is that you get a pump. And so they already know from the very beginning what they might be getting further down the road. Of course, pumps are one of the services mentioned along with a whole host of others, including breastfeeding clinics, possibly getting hooked up to a breastfeeding peer counselor, advocacy when you return to work, if you need that help. So it's in this plethora of services, but pumps are definitely mentioned right at the very beginning. So they do know that it's an option from day one when they come to WIC. Okay. And does WIC ever mention milk sharing as an option for moms in the program? So that's one of the things that is, I would kind of say, almost like taboo in our areas because we have to be... uh, We are regulated through whatever the CDC says, and it's not something that's really, what should I say, it's not really sanctioned as yet, because there's so many different issues. So WIC doesn't really talk about that. I will tell you anecdotally, there are lots and lots of stories of women who will, you know, breastfeed their niece or breastfeed their nephew or, you know, I'm I'm already breastfeeding and I'm going to do this. I have employees who've told me this, but it is not something that's openly talked about unless you're with some breastfeeding friendly people. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Okay, so we've discussed breastfeeding, pumping, and milk sharing. But what about using formula? How does income impact a mom's decision to formula feed her baby? We'll be right back. Welcome back. Today we're talking about how income can impact a mom's decision on how to feed her baby. Donna Bister and Kiran Saluja with WIC help lower income mothers and children with their nutritional needs. The choice to feed your baby formula is highly controversial within the lactation community. Statistically, do you know how many moms are either needing or choosing to formula feed here in the United States? Do those stats differ from women in the WIC program? Well, we women in often come to WIC because we have formula for them if they need it. So I think that skews the statistics a little bit. We don't, if women are not on WIC, we don't really have any good information about whether or not they're supplementing with formula. So that's one thing. But yes, women on WIC do supplement more than than women who are not eligible for WIC. Kiran, is the decision to formula feed usually based on income? I would say no to that. And the reason I would say no to that is because we have up to 90% of moms coming into the WIC program saying, I want to breastfeed. The reason that they go to formula is because of what happens to them at birth and right after and what else is going on in their lives. And so they are not able to do what they really want to do. And that's the problem because that should be such a wrong reason to choose formula, but that is what happens to them. They get given wrong advice. They get started off wrong. They have some relative who's like telling them everything is going on wrong. Baby's crying. Everybody thinks it's always about hunger. And so this mother starts to doubt herself and then she resorts to formula. So it's not really income that leads or low income that leads you to formula feed, but it's just your circumstance of how little support you get because really the facts are that most women in this country want to breastfeed their babies. That's why 81% of them really start out breastfeeding in the United States in the 2016 CDC report card. That's a huge number of women who are starting out breastfeeding. And obviously that's because they want to do it. Kiran, so how much does culture play into the decisions uh, moms make to breastfeed versus formula feed? So we've come a long way since the 80s and all, let's say, because in those days, what we used to really notice is, for example, in California, we have a lot of moms participating in our program who are from Mexico. So they would fully breastfeed in Mexico. If they came to the United States, they would start formula feeding. And so in the 80s, it was all about the commercialization of formula, the imagery, the aggressive marketing that happened. But then things started to change towards the 2000s, early 2000s. Now, I think through so much education, and I'm going to take the credit for it in the WIC program, WIC has been aggressive nationwide about really reaching out to mothers and talking about breastfeeding. That has really mitigated the whole piece about, you know, you have to be big and strong Americans and they're all formula fed. No, now people know that the smart people breastfeed. Uh, We want to breastfeed our baby because it makes them smarter, because it makes them healthier. So I would say in terms of culture, things have really changed when you look at our neighbors to the south. Now, when you look at women coming in from Asia, from China, from Vietnam, we still have some barriers to cross there. They they all breastfed in their home countries, but coming here, we are still trying to ensure that they get the education, 
so that they are continuing with those cultural practices because really the culture is very supportive of breastfeeding. But when they come to America and in WIC they get free formula, there's a shift that happens there with certain, um, and our rates in our Asian cultures are very low. With the African American women, we are noticing a totally different trend. There, I would say that culture definitely plays such a big role because, again, rates in African Americans are very low. But again, when you go out and you really target African Americans, like we've tried to do, we don't serve very large numbers, but at five of our sites that are towards um, certain parts of Los Angeles, we have higher density African Americans. We've started a brand new program and we've, we've called it Cinemoms and Moms named it. And it's an African American breastfeeding support group. I am blown away by the stories I hear from those women there. So at a micro level, one mom at a time, I would say, really, a mom is a mom is a mom, whether she's black or white or Asian or Hispanic. But at a macro level, yes, Hispanic moms look different than African-American moms who look different than Asian moms. And now we're getting a lot of refugees from um, Iraq and from Syria. And those moms are definitely more into breastfeeding and have maintained that culture. So it's a very complicated answer to a simple question. I'm not sure if this really gets what you wanted, but I'm trying to do my best. <laughs> it's a big question. We could do a whole episode just on that. But yes. uh, And okay, so what advice would you have for families who are trying to make a decision on how to feed their baby? And, and part of it is based on income, part of their decision. And they have to consider finances, as we all do on some level as parents. But what do you say to them, you know, if, if they're faced with a decision like that? So the WIC program, considering the fact that it really serves a population that would be, you know, that is, I, I don't call it low-income, but modest income families, because they already are self-selected because of that. I would say definitely that we promote breastfeeding. We work with them. We educate them. We want them to make the best decision based on all available information. So we read the research. We condense it. We simplify it. We put it out there. We, we show them what formula has and what breast milk has. And we build these towers with Lego. And the formula tower is like minuscule. And the breastfeeding tower just keeps growing and growing. So we use simple tools to teach parents about why breastfeeding is like the way to go. But at the end of the day, if they decide to formula feed, it's entirely up to them. And many of them do. Now, do they do it based on income? I would have a hard time saying yes to that because in the WIC program, formula is free, but breastfeeding is free too. The personal toll of breastfeeding, the commitment, the support, their family support is the part that has to come into play. If I was going to talk to you about, let's say, my children, my, my friends of um, my friends and their children, or my daughter's contemporaries, let's say, I think their breastfeeding is the way they would go because they know that's a lot cheaper, and of course they know it's the best. So it's a double positive for them to really try to breastfeed. So to answer your question simply, I don't think income for our wick moms is a reason why they would either use formula or breastfeed. Thank you so much to everyone for being part of today's show and for sharing their experience. If you're a member of the Boo Group, then be sure to check out our bonus content for this episode, where we'll discuss some ways to minimize the cost of pumping if you want to continue breastfeeding your baby and if you need to go back to work. 
Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We have a question from one of our listeners. Aaron Skinner writes us on Facebook. And the question's a little long, but it's a good one. So bear with me here. Aaron writes, I am 37 weeks pregnant with our second baby and still breastfeeding our 26-month-old son. Our son co-sleeps with myself and my hubby. We nursed during the night up until two months ago when I decided I need to try and get better quality sleep. For the last two months, I nursed him when we first go to bed. But I tell him it's only for a few minutes and then it's night-night time. Then I tell him, okay, it's time to go to sleep now, and I unlatch him. He still fusses a bit when I unlatch him, but only for a minute or two. For a while, it seemed like he was adjusting very well, but recently he has backslid a bit and will wail and wail and wail. I don't know if he knows the new baby is coming and he's feeling a little bit insecure. We have sleeping arrangements set up where I have a bassinet right next to my side of the bed, and I do not plan to have the new baby in bed for safety reasons, especially with a toddler. But I'm concerned about the dynamic of night nursing one child and not the other. I guess I'm looking for any advice, experiences that anyone else has had with this sort of thing. Any thoughts will be helpful. Hi, Erin. My name's Helen. I'm one of the experts here at New Mommy Media. I'm a registered nurse and a certified lactation educator. And I want to thank you so much for your question and congratulate you on your soon-to-be-born baby and also give you some kudos on your extended nursing for your toddler. That's wonderful. So as you move to nursing two babies instead of just one, my advice is to be sure that you're clear with your language that the reason you're reducing breastfeeding for your older child is not because of the baby's needs. It's not the baby's fault, but instead it's your choice. Uh, Say things like, I need you to stop breastfeeding because mommy's tired, or we're not going to breastfeed this morning because I need to stay hands-free for a little while or I'm just not ready to do that right now. So instead of saying things like, the baby needs to breastfeed first, or the baby needs more milk than you, or big boys or girls don't breastfeed like a baby does, we want to be sure that we give the idea to our child that the change is is your choice. Um, the next thing is really take it easy on yourself. It's going to be a big transition for you, and your older child may have some difficulty with the transition of having another baby now in the house for many, many reasons, not just breastfeeding. So be sure that if you want to reduce a breastfeeding session or eliminate a breastfeeding session with your older child, that you're doing that to care for yourself and that you're dealing with your child's frustration, but you're not giving into that. So remember that our job as a parent is to be present and to comfort, but not necessarily to breastfeed your older child at the expense of you and your baby's well-being. And be sure to find non-breastfeeding ways to connect with your older child. Uh, Hugging, snuggling, these are all really good habits that we can 
we can kind of initiate now and continue to do um, after the baby's born that don't involve breastfeeding. And that's about it. I want to uh, congratulate you and wish you luck with your new baby. That wraps up our show for today. Thanks for listening to The Boob Group. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals for Expecting Parents, Newbies for Newly Postpartum Moms, Parent Savers for Moms and Dads with Toddlers, and Twin Talks for Parents of Multiples. This is The Boob Group, where moms know breasts. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of new mommy media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. How would you like to have your own show on the New Mommy Media Network? We're expanding our lineup and looking for great content. If you're a business or organization interested in learning more about our co-branded podcasts, visit our website at newmommymedia.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.